That's pretty exciting just to think about that someday we'll be in the presence of God and be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Actually, He calls us to worship Him in spirit and in truth right now. Let me ask you to do me a favor. I want you to talk back to me. Just everybody, whoever would scream something out. If you're at a Western basketball game, you notice I didn't make the mistake of saying UK. Did you catch it? If you had a Western basketball game, and it was the last point needed for Western to win the game, and the biggest guy on the court, seven-footer, got the ball in his hand, went for a slam dunk from the free throw line, what, would your, what were some of your visual... Let me see if I can preach this more. What would some of your um, visual responses or verbal responses be to that moment? Just anybody scream something out. Oh, you, so you might shout. What else? What is it? I missed a funny, I think, over here. What else? You might, yeah, you, woo, 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 woo. You t- throw the red flag, the red towel, right? The red towel. What else? Huh? What else? Go on. Go toppers. Yeah, you, you might scream out the name, uh, right? Okay. What else? I'm sorry? George Washington. George, what the heck? George Washington. There's something, in, in, interpret for me, Gavin. Come on, Bubba. Oh, I got you. Gavin has to retire. I love this guy. He hates turbots for me all the time. So thank you for that. Yeah. What else? Would you jump to your feet maybe? So you'd clap probably? Oh, yeah. You might whistle. I've not seen that happen in church, but it could be kind of cool. <laughs> so what was it? Rebel yell. Rebel yell. Okay, now we're getting deep into the place right here. Okay. I'm sorry. I think this little girl said I'm on a different team is what I think she said. So she would probably not do anything. But here's what I want you to capture. I want you to capture this. When we are moved by something astounding, we naturally respond. Am I right? It's intriguing to me that when we come to worship, Jesus did the slam dunk on the cross and at the empty tomb. And if we're not careful, we can just sit stoically. It is a very interesting thing if you think about it. This morning we're going to be talking about a moment in Peter's life. We're wrapping up this series on Peter. This morning we're wrapping up this series with uh, some understandings about ways we can worship God that are acceptable and appropriate. Let me say that again. Acceptable and appropriate, but listen closely, but not a necessity. So I'm going to be sharing nine ways that you can worship God when you come into this place together. Please hear me. The Bible gives you direction and permission but we're not making any commands of you. I'm just concerned that somebody's going to come to me and say, well, that Rick Howard, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he's demanding that I do one of those things. I'm not. I want you to realize the Bible gives you direction and permission. Okay, so here's what's happening with Peter. So we're in this place with Peter. Peter has come to this place. Jesus has been resurrected. He has already appeared to the apostles twice, and now he shows up where Peter is fishing. Now, interesting thing about this, let's keep this in mind. Peter, after Jesus' resurrection, has gone back to his career. He's fishing again. And Jesus shows up. Lily, would you come join us? This young lady is going to read our scripture for us. She does a great job. And we're so glad that you're going to read for us this morning. Actually, she's reading because I couldn't pronounce some of the names, but please go ahead. Jesus revealed himself again to the, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, 
I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Thank you, Lily. Isn't that fantastic? Just a little side note that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon this morning. One of the things that I love about John's writing uh, is his, in his gospel is that he says that he is the one that Jesus loved. <laughs> you got to appreciate that. Let me just point out that Jesus loved me more than the other guys. So, but, 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 but let's talk more about Peter than we do John this morning. So here's the deal. So what we, we find is that Peter is in the boat. Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He has not yet ascended to heaven. He's appeared, as I mentioned, he's already appeared twice to the apostles. And when Peter sees Jesus, he knows who Jesus is now. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah come to save people from their sins. His life and heart has been transformed. He's not the man he once was because of Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, because Peter realizes, listen closely, because Peter realizes the worth of and the worthiness of this person, he cannot contain himself. He does a swan dive out of the boat and heads to the shore to be with the Messiah. He finds himself in a place where he cannot hold his heart captive. He has to be moved. Worship has everything to do with the worthiness of the person being worshipped. In fact, it's an old English term. I won't try to state it, but it is a recognition of and a response to the worth of God. Well, how worthy is Jesus? I mean, how much worth is there in God? How much compared to everything and everyone else? Is there worth in Jesus Christ? Well, John 1 tells us Jesus was involved in creation. We wouldn't exist if it weren't for Jesus. Colossians 1.17 tells us Jesus holds the world together. Without Jesus, earth and the universe would implode. 1 Peter 3.18 unearths that Jesus died for us on the cross. He literally died for you. He took your place on the cross. John 14, 1 through 3 reminds us that Jesus is in heaven right now, if you're a believer, preparing a home for you where you will live for all of eternity. Mark 13 reveals that Jesus is going to come and take his followers from this world to heaven. He's pretty worthy, isn't he, of our praise and of our worship. But my favorite passage is actually in Daniel. Daniel 7 dramatically tells us that Jesus will ultimately Rule over all things. I want to read it real slowly. I want you to capture it with me if you can. It may not just mean as much to you as it does to me, but this verse has captivated my heart for years. It's John uh, receiving the revelation of what's to come. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, that's Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days, that's Father God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom 
that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. How much worth is there in Jesus? Complete worth. In Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah having a vision of being before God. And the passage says that um, God's robe filled the temple. God's robe filled the temple. In that time, the amount of robe that a person had depicted their worthiness and how important that they were. And only one robe could ever fill the temple. And it's the robe of God himself. There is no name above any other name. There's no name above the name of Jesus. Because someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is not just a good guy or not just a doctrine. They will confess that he is Lord of all things. That's who Jesus is. That's how worthy he is of our worship. Noah, I, um, as, we, as we dive into this space, I want us to understand the whole worship concept. There are a few words in Hebrew and a few words in Greek. Uh, the Old Testament is given to us mostly in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek that kind of give us more understanding. The Old Testament Hebrew word is shasha, that's one of them, which means to bow down, to fall down prostrate. The other Old Testament word is abada, which means to serve a superior. So we fall down, our bodies fall down when we find ourselves with the superior person of God. The New Testament Greek words are prokustia, proskuinia, which means to come forward to kiss a hand as an act of adoration. So again, the body is moved because of your longing to worship that one that is so much greater than you. And there's another term which means to serve. So when you come into the presence of the great God of the universe, two things are at play. Your heart moves you so that your body does something, and your mind moves you to serve that person. I want you to catch what I just said. Your body is moved and your heart is moved, so your mind is moved forward. Those two movements take place. Psalm 84, 7 says this about worship. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. My body is engaged in worship also. When Peter realized that he was seeing the risen Lord, he could not remain stoic. He could not. He was seeing the Savior of the world resurrected from the dead. You know, I'll tell you something that helps me when I worship is to realize that we are not alone when we come to worship. You may not realize this, but worship started long before you arrived, and I'm not talking about the first service. Something much more magical and amazing than that was taking place before you ever arrived. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 reads like this. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in, listen closely, in festal gathering, speaking to us about when we worship together, and to the assembly of the firstborn whom are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Listen, my friends, when we worship, we're joining the greatest worship service ever experienced, and it's already in progress. And who are we worshiping with? Innumerable angels, the saints who have already lived their lives on earth and arrived in heaven prior to our arrival. 
Those who have already accepted the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus, our mediator, the one who went to the cross and was resurrected from the dead and God, our judge. When we begin worshiping, we didn't start the whole worship gathering. It didn't happen the day that Dana gave the moment movement for them to start playing the instruments. We are connecting with those who are already worshiping God, and they would be our models for how we worship. How would your worship be different if you literally were looking Jesus Christ in the eyes? How would you worship in those moments? Wayne Grudem gives us a little more understanding of all this. He puts it like this. This is the reality of new covenant worship. It, is, it actually is worship in the presence of God. Though we do not now see him with our physical eyes, nor do we see the angels gathered around his throne or the spirits of believers who have gone before and are now worshiping in God's presence. But it is all there. And it is all real. More real and more permanent than the physical creation that we see around us, which will someday be destroyed in the final judgment. And if we believe Scripture to be true, then we must also believe it to be actually true that we ourselves come to that place and join our voices with those already worshiping in heaven whenever we come to God in worship. That's exciting to me. That's thrilling to me. To think that in our presence right now are the heavenly angels and the saints that have gone before us and God himself, the judge, and Jesus, the mediator, who will stand before God someday and say, yes, this is one of our children. We come together for a festal gathering because we are already in the presence of Almighty God. So you may ask the question, what are some acceptable and appropriate reactions to Jesus' presence when we worship together? I'm going to give you nine very quickly, so hang with me. I'd request you take notes this morning, fill in some of those blanks. You can look them over later. The first one is this, to sing. It's to sing. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now listen closely. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and what should our attitude be when singing them? With thankfulness in our hearts to God. So not only does it tell us that we are to sing and what we are to sing, but we are to sing with thankfulness in our heart to God. Now, I know what some of y'all may be thinking. You're thinking, Rick, if you sat directly in front of me and I sang, you wouldn't think that I was praising anything. I'm not a singer is what you might say. I have had people tell us to me many times when we talked about singing and worship, and it's always a really good, fun kind of joke. Uh, if I could just be real honest with you, and it, I don't mean to sound braggadocious, just to give you a little of my history. I have an undergrad degree and a, a, a master's degree in singing. That's what my two degrees are in. And I will tell you that the most beautiful sounds to me in worship is when someone sings with their whole heart and they never hit the right pitch and they sing as loudly as they possibly can because what's happening in them is what should be happening in me. They're singing with their hearts, not with their voices. If you don't sing, please sing as loudly as you can and bless those around you. And I mean it. You also need to sing new songs to the Lord. Psalms 96.1 says, 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So, so let's, let's capture this for a second. Songs of faith come from the hearts of those who have been moved by the power of God. The power of God has moved them, a lyric, often a melody, and the harmonies have been created within them, and so they write a song that expresses their hearts. Now, some songs represent the individual person and what they've experienced in Christ, and some songs are written for an entire body of believers. And there are sometimes songs written within the context of a local church, actually written for that church and how God is working. What I want you not to miss is this. I want you to not miss the fact that new songs are important. I've uh, said over and again, my age, I'm 62 years old. The song, He Touched Me, still touches me. And it was written, I think, in 1962 or 63 or something. Now, I am not nearly as fond of the new songs. Um, some of y'all have heard me say this. I planted a church. Uh, my target audience was spiritually abused people and people who were really far from Christ. We never sang a gospel song that I can recall in that church. Why? Because I wanted to reach the next generation for Christ. I just got back last night from uh, uh, speaking at the Georgia Baptist Convention Collegiate Ministry event. I was backstage as the worship began. And I was really tired after a long day of travel on an airplane and all that kind of stuff. And when the music started, I thought to myself, I'm not going to know one song. It's way too loud. And how come they didn't let me pick the band? And you know what I heard? I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or just a memory because I've thought this through so many times. What came to my mind was this. If you want your granddaughters to be in God's church someday, you better learn the new songs and sing them. Because if you continue to sing the songs you've always sung, they would rather not be in your church. Because with every generation, not only comes new songs, but comes new sounds. New instruments are used, and they're used at different decibel levels. Every generation has seen this happen. It's happened for, for decades and decades and decades and decades. Let me just read to you kind of the instrumentation that was used back in Psalm 150. Here's how it reads. Praise him with the trumpet sound. We say trumpets sometimes. Praise him with the lute and harp. When was the last time there was a lute played on this stage, right? Praise him with tambourine and dance. I just want to warn you. Uh, Dana said when I was preparing this sermon, he said, please let them know no tambourines. No tambourines. Nobody gets to bring a tambourine to church. We don't use tambourines much anymore. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. And it goes on to say, not a, it's, it's as though the writer said to himself, hey, I want to make sure they get this. Not just, not just praise him with sounding cymbals. He goes on the next phrase to say, praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let's have some sound here, folks. Now, please hear me. Some of y'all are going, well, we've already reached that spot. Um, yesterday evening, as the worship began, I got in a room all by myself about um, three, uh, three or four rooms from the main room, because they kind of put me back in the green room, then I just walk in off stage. And I listened to worship from there, and I had a great time, because it wasn't so loud it bothered me. I have actually talked to a church about this. There's a church in our state that is reaching some people who are really far from Christ with some very loud music, and they actually, as you come in, you can pick up earplugs, if you'd like. Please, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, and please don't come to Dana or myself and say, yes, the music's too loud. Please don't do that. Just let the principle be heard, the principle being every generation has its new songs and its new sounds, and please embrace them on behalf of the gospel reaching the next generation for Jesus Christ. 
Please join us in that journey. The third thing we can do is shout. Psalm 47 says, shout to God with cries of joy. My dad was a Baptist pastor, and we, he moved about every two and a half, three years. And I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night in a Baptist church, about 100 people there, and uh, we were singing an old hymn, and I'd never had this happen to me before. Out of the clear blue sky, it woke me up, actually. Some guy screamed, "Woo!" Man, I was like, holy smoke, I about made a mess. I mean, it was just awful. I got in the car and I said to my dad, Dad, what's wrong with that guy? He said, oh, son, there's nothing wrong with him. He just loves Jesus and can't keep from showing it. And you know, I was a young kid and it went through my mind right then, well, shouldn't we be showing it? If we love Jesus, shouldn't we be showing it? It just made sense to me. Then we can clap. Psalm 47, 1 says, clap your hands, all you nations. Now, I would like to say something to you. I actually am a little fearful of clapping in church. Uh, let, me, let me tell you my fear. Maybe this will help you as, you as you begin to clap, that you'd be a little more careful in it if you're not careful enough. I'm a little concerned because we right now, when most churches clap, they clap after the choir sung or someone sung a solo or something of that nature. When we come into this place, the person we are called to worship is Jesus, not the musician. It is a beautiful thing to clap. I'm going to try to speak for the musicians. The last service, they didn't speak up, so I look like a fool. So help me out here, worship people, all right? If you are up on this part, if you're from this point back, helping with worship, singing, if, what, if the statement I'm about to make is true, I want you to scream amen so that the rest of the church can hear what I'm stating to be true. My statement would be this. For those who sing on this stage in order to lead you to worship better, when they complete a song and you've listened they would much rather believe by your applause that you're applauding the Jesus that gave them a song to sing than you're worshiping them for singing. What do you say, singers? Amen. Yes. They want you, they're here to lead you to worship Jesus, not to be worshiped. That's their heart. So when you clap, always clap for the one who gave them a song to sing. Then another one, and we probably need to work on this one, uh, Dana. We've not talked about this much. Silence. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Silence allows us to hear God more easily. Uh, there was a, I've shared with you a story I'll share again. It's just helped me in this illustration. As you may recall, I've shared with you a couple of times that... Um, uh, we thought that I had stage 4 cancer. We got that news a day before we were to leave for Hawaii for a cruise for our 41st wedding anniversary. Um, you know, we determined because if I was dying, it was going to be a good ending. We were going to have the best time of our lives. That's what we decided. Uh, the deal was every morning I'd get up and walk on the boat. And I'd get up and have my walk. And as I was walking one morning, um, you can see the slide that's up. I, I, as I was walking one morning and I was just, there was no one else out there. It was just the waves and me. And I was kind of speaking with the Lord, and the sun began to pop up over the horizon on the ocean. And I just whispered, God, that's beautiful. And he said it as loudly as if he were standing here talking to me. He just said, wait till you see what's on the other side of that. I couldn't have heard him if I would have had my earplugs in listening to music. If I'd have been shouting something about something, talking to somebody else. Sometimes we just need to be still before God and let him speak. Some of y'all may recall the first time we did the Lord's Supper when I came to be your interim. And we kept the room in complete silence. 
and just said, speak to your Lord and thank him for who he is. A couple of people warned me when we decided to do that, that's not going to work out because people are going to feel awkward. It's going to be weird to them. You know what I found out? I've never had more people come to me and say thank you than when we did that. Evidently, when we have time to be still before God, we hear God. We probably need to put that in worship sometimes, Dana. Be still and know that I am God. Another option that is so important and, and an option for us is to kneel. Scripture says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, here's what it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Kneeling in worship is the physical way we show God that we are submissive to and humble before him. We're submissive to and humble before him. I will never forget being at a Promise Keepers event. Those are men's events that were years ago. They were big arena events. The 30 or 40,000 men would gather. Uh, the church I went with, the, some of the guys wanted to get way up front, so they got seats on the bottom floor right there up close to the stage. Off to our right, they had placed the handicap section. So there were men over in the handicap section in their wheelchairs. There came a point when this guy was talking about being humble before God so that you could be humble enough to serve your spouse. And when he said to the entire group in the room, he said, I want every man in this room to kneel. There was kind of an awkward pause at first, and then one guy knelt and another guy knelt, and many men started falling to their knees. What happened to me was, before I could get to my knees, I noticed in my peripheral vision to my right, one of these guys in a wheelchair, and he's doing like this. He's waving to the guys who, are, who do not have disabilities, I need somebody to come here. I need somebody to come here. I thought he might have been having a real physical problem. When he got over there, about three guys went running to his side. And when they knelt over, he, one of the men knelt over to him and, and he whispered to them something. And I watched what happened next. Three big burly men helped a man that could not move off of his wheelchair to his knees because he was unwilling to not bow before his Lord. And I'm healthy and sometimes I don't. We can kneel before God. Show him our humility. Show him how big he is in our eyes. Dana and I in preparing for today's service, we talked about this and we'd like to make something available to every person in this room. That not just when the invitation comes, but any time from the first moment of notice play to the end of this service, if you want to come to this altar and bow before your God during any song or anything that's happening while I'm preaching, this altar is here because if we can come and bow before Jesus, we will know Jesus. Make the altar your home. Another thing you can do is simply bow your heads. Micah said, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? This is again as a show of reverence and respect for God. And when we're celebrating, we can raise our heads. Psalm 3, 3 says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. We often drop our heads when life is dark. We should raise our heads when God's blessed us and look to the heavens. Might I suggest something to you as you sing? There are basically uh, two audiences that we're singing about or to when we sing our songs. You're either singing a song to God or you're singing a song about God with the rest of the congregation. When you're singing to God, feel free to lift your eyes to the heavens as though praying. Feel free to lift your eyes to the heavens. 
Uh, that same Promise Keepers event I was at, I've never heard, if you've ever heard a, 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 an arena full of men sing to God with all of their hearts, I remember literally looking into the sky thinking, I will see Jesus because the power of the singing. And our singing should be that powerful. We should raise our heads to the heavens hoping to see God. Then finally, you can lift your hands. Psalm 134.2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Isaiah 65 tells us that we lift our hands when crying out to God for assistance. Nehemiah 8.6 says we lift our hands when celebrating and worshiping God. Two good times to lift your hands. Now, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, I'll wrap up in a few minutes, but hang with me for just a few seconds. What drives us to these kind of visual acts? What drives us to these kind of demonstrative acts is realizing how much God loves us, but even more so how much we love Him. I looked and looked and looked for a great illustration, and this is a great illustration, but I talk about Julie and mine's relationship probably too much. But when Julie and I met, and she was gracious enough to allow me to fall in love with her, you notice I didn't say she fell in love with me, that I'd fall in love with her. No one else mattered much. I wasn't concerned about what anybody else thought about my acts of um, showing my attention to Julie. It didn't matter to me what anybody else thought. I mean, I told her I loved her in public. I held her hand in public. I kissed her goodnight in public. I gave her my full attention, uh, even when the guys in the dorm room made fun of me for it. And I even tried to dress so that she wouldn't be embarrassed. Found out later I didn't do well, but (laughs) all other opinions faded because when you are in love with someone that deeply, everyone else is a secondary consideration. And we love Jesus that much, everything else and everyone is a secondary consideration. Let me suggest a couple of obstacles that we might have to move for those of you that are realizing permission to celebrate God in this way. The first one is denominational misinterpretations. Denominational misinterpretations. If you grew up in a home like I did, uh, in the era that I did, you may recall conversations like this when you are in junior high school. I was a Southern Baptist boy and I'd sometimes say to a Methodist, I kind of wish I was Methodist because I want to drink alcohol someday. And the Church of God guy would say, I wish I could be a, a Baptist because I'd like to play cards. And for some reason, everybody wanted to date, to date Catholic girls. I still don't know what that was about. But it was very interesting that we determined what seemed to be the right thing to do based on what denomination we were. That's just weird. Sometimes we get, con- we, we get this perspective that if, we're, if, if our denomination states something or infers something that that's right. In fact, we can get in such a state that if someone isn't exactly like us, we can think they're probably wrong. Let me see if I can do a little reading here that might help you understand that. This is from another person's perspective, obviously. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said Baptist. I said me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said Northern Baptist. I said me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said Northern Conservative Baptist. I said me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? 
He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. Um, since we're a Southern Baptist church, might I suggest that we don't determine how we worship based on doctrinal misunderstandings. No Baptist ever said that you could not lift your hands in praise. No, let me say that differently. No biblically understanding Baptist ever said you couldn't lift your hands in praise or fall on your knees before God in this worship service or shout hallelujah. No one ever did. Never in your lifetime. I was once approached by a guy freaked out that a Southern Baptist denomination worker that was me lifted his hands while worshiping one of the small churches I served some years ago. He said something like, why do you lift your hands when you're singing? I just want you to know that your charismatic ways shouldn't be tolerated. Who hired you into Southern Baptist role anyway? Baptists don't lift their hands when they sing. So I ask him this question, what are Southern Baptists known for? And being the genius he was, he was dumbfounded. I said, we're known for being people of the Bible. What do you think the Bible says about lifting up hands when worshiping God? And I didn't let him answer. Before he could answer, I read Psalm 134 too, which says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. I allowed a dramatic pause. Then I said to him, maybe the question isn't, why do I lift my hands? Maybe the question should be, why don't you lift your hands? Didn't make him happy, by the way. I find that people who want to cling to that which makes them most comfortable, are very disturbed when the expectations of God make them uncomfortable. Very interesting thing, isn't it? The other thing that I personally had to overcome in order to find the joy and thrill of worshiping God demonstratively in a way that is still acceptable in the churches that I serve is my pride. It's my pride. There's a great moment in scripture, a great moment in history actually, when King David, the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back to his people. And here's what happens. Uh, his wife speaks to him upon his return home. And here's what happens. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, that's David's wife, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked and full of you of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David responded. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me to rule over the Lord's people Israel. And then he finally says these words, I will celebrate before the Lord. You get that? Would you say that with me? I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Did you catch what he just said? What he just said was this. Hey, you may not think what I'm doing is very dignified, and I don't care. Because I'm going to celebrate my Christ. And I've got to tell you, is what he's saying? I'll tell you something else. You think it embarrassed you? Actually, it embarrassed me too. But I'm still going to do it for my king. I'm still going to let Christ know through my actions that my heart is so alive in him that I can't help but act it out in some way. That's what he says. He said, I'll give up the whole dignified thing because I want my Christ to know how much I love him because of his love for me. That's pretty powerful stuff. 
That's pretty amazing stuff. That he says, I will be undignified for my Jesus. Now, I want to say something to you. For many people, it's very difficult because they've got this, uh, they've got this tape playing in their heads. It's someone who's a friend of theirs when someone in their presence, or the presence of the two of them, worship more demonstratively, and that person said to them, look at those people trying to draw attention to themselves. Look at those people trying to draw attention to themselves. Look at those people trying to draw attention to themselves. Might I suggest you erase that tape? First of all, you don't know what that other person's heart is, but you do know what your heart is. But you do know what your heart is. I, um, I sometimes uh, drive home thinking to myself, I hope I was okay in worship today, especially when I first arrived. You guys have uh, really been a blessing to me and been very gracious to me, but I know when I first came, it was fairly unusual for, you know, uh, lifting your hands up on the front row. Um, and you don't have an option because I sit right there. So you're kind of stuck. You have probably seen me at times uh, in worshiping lift my hands for an elongated period of time singing a song or when someone else was singing a song. And if you've watched me or seen me in, in your peripheral vision, there have been times you've seen me lift my hand and seconds later drop my hand. Let me tell you what's going on. What's going on is this. I am still in a fallen world and I'm still a human being. There are times when I've lifted my hand as sincerely as I possibly could, but then thought to myself, I hope somebody notices my piety. I hope somebody realizes how religious I am right now. And in those moments, my hand comes down immediately. I pray a quick prayer of repentance, and I remain very undemonstrative because I do never want to stand before my Lord and Him say, you used my worship as a performance for you to get praise. If you were to choose to open your direction as you worship, and lift your hand or bow your head or come to the altar or stand spontaneously in the midst of a song. Listen, that's between you and God. If you realize it's impure, then back off. If you realize it's pure, then allow God to move your heart and move your body. We want you to realize, not that we give you permission, but that God gives you permission to worship him with both your heart which moves your body and that your heart must be engaged in it all i want to finish with a very short couple of paragraphs written by a man much wiser than i named john piper he captured it so well together the words spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of god worship must have heart and worship must have head Worship must engage your emotions, and worship must engage your thoughts. Listen closely. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual fighters. Emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates flaky people who reject the discipline of rigorous thought. And here's the most important sentence of all. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. The greatest worship comes from those 
who know their Lord deeply because they journey with him daily and we come together in his presence together. They come and worship wholeheartedly because they are so much closer to God than, than when we don't get together with him daily. We can't hold ourselves in because when we come together, it is the great celebration that happens once a week. I will never forget my first, when I went to work at Lifeway, we were doing a conference at a conference center and I didn't know all these well-known people I was sitting next to a guy that did, and we were having worship, and we were singing some new songs. I'd never heard of them. They were loud. They were weird. They were crazy. And I noticed over to my left, there was a guy. He looked like he was probably 80-something years old, hands lifted like this. He couldn't sing any of the words, and he was just trying. Yeah, he was making noise and just loud, 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 loud. And just, I just thought, who is that guy? So I leaned over to the guy next to me, and I said, hey, who's that guy? And he said, you don't know who that is? I said, no, sir, I, I don't know who that is. He said, that is one of the most well-respected men that has ever been part of a Southern Baptist movement, ever. He's one of the most well-known professors that ever in history taught at a seminary. He's taught more men how to share the gospel and how to teach churches to do that than any person in Southern Baptist history. His name is Roy Fish. Now, you've never heard of Roy Fish. He could read Greek and Hebrew. He could preach like in amazing ways. He was well-loved because of his great character. He was 80-something years old, and he knew God so well, his heart could not shut up. He was going to do something before his God, and it was make a joyful noise and lift his hand. Folks, you may never feel like lifting your hands, but your heart should be alive enough that your person is moved because Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he's coming back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you that when we come together, we see and know your presence. We realize your love for us. We're reminded of all you've done for us, Lord. May we never forget that. And Father, as we worship you, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Let it be that we walk with you so closely through the week that this Sunday morning experience each week is an explosion of your greatness because there are a massive number of us who are experiencing you deeply. Let us make you Lord, really. If you wouldn't mind leaving your heads bowed and your eyes closed, for some of y'all in this room, you're probably thinking, this is crazy stuff. And before I knew Jesus, that was true for me too. It sounded like crazy stuff. That probably means you, uh, if, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't know Christ, that means you've never accepted into your life. Ask Him to become the Lord of your life, that is, the Master of your life, believing Him to be the Son of God, died, resurrected from the dead. You've never prayed to accept Him and become a Christian, then you don't know this Jesus. And it's hard for you to even think about celebrating someone you don't know. This morning, you can become a Christian if you choose to. Simply means this. It means that you have come to a point and a realization and you're probably being moved in some emotional way that is beyond your understanding and you realize that something is missing. What's missing is Jesus. And for you to become a Christian, you simply need to do this. You first of all need to believe some things. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Number one, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. And that every sin that you've ever committed, he took upon himself. The reason you need to do that is because no sin can ever enter heaven. And when you become a Christian, 
Every sin that's on you right now is removed and every sin that you'll ever sin in the future will never be known to God because it says that he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and he forgets your sins once you become a Christian. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross for you. Believe that he resurrected from the dead and then be willing as best you can, although you'll not be perfect, to live your life for him, to walk away from sins you've been involved in, the things that aren't blessing, that, aren't, that don't bring honor to him. Let me say it one more time, no confusion. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that He died on the cross and resurrected from the dead. Be willing to accept His grace and forgiveness and then do the best you can to live your life for Him. And this morning, you'll have the most amazing experience of your entire eternity. If that's who you are, just repeat this prayer after me and and pray it believing what you're praying. God, I am a sinner. Only you can save me from my sin. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross and took all of my sins upon himself. I believe he rose from the dead. Please forgive me for every sin I've ever committed or will commit. I will do my best to live my life in a way that brings honor to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, um, I would be so thankful. If when we start to sing this next song, you just come out of your seat, just come right down here and I'll speak with you. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'll be waiting for you after the service ends at this place. But I'd love to speak with you. For some of you all this morning, you've just realized, I want to come to the altar and humble myself before God and just ask Him to work in some aspect of my life. And there may be some people in this room who have been attending this church and you've realized that this is where God has called you to plant yourself and you want to be a church member here. I can tell you this is a phenomenal people, Eastwood Baptist Church. They would love for you to be with them and I promise you they'll care for you and love you and journey alongside you for the rest of your life. If that's what God is saying to you or your household, just come right now and join us. Let's stand and let God be God.